Summit Medical Group is the largest physician-owned multi-specialty medical group in New Jersey. Now helping you live well and stay well with SMG Radio. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. The field of cardiology is advancing so rapidly to find answers to the prevention and treatment of heart disease, the number one killer in America. My guest today is Dr. Nicholas Giuliano. He's a cardiologist at Summit Medical Group. Welcome to the show. Dr. Giuliano, tell us about the field of cardiology. What are we seeing as some of the most recent advances that are pretty exciting in prevention guidelines, in treating heart attack and stroke? Tell us, tell us about it. Hi, Melanie. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's an interesting time in cardiology. Um, there's, there was a time not too long ago where uh, what I did for a living would be con- was called sort of informally plumbing, which was just opening up blocked arteries and people who had a heart attack. And uh, we spent a lot of time, epidemiologists and cardiologists, working together to get people to understand the concept of risk and preventive medicine. And this is something that uh, can put people to sleep when they start talking about epidemiology and risk, and you talk about statistics and these are things that most people don't really like. It's very exciting on TV when somebody uh, is waiting for a cancer biopsy result and, and waiting to hear it's cancer, it's not cancer, it's good news. It's a little less exciting just to have someone say, well, you have a 10-year risk of 3% of having a heart attack or a stroke. But we're really in a golden age for cardiology in that our, our refinements are getting better, but also the population at large is becoming a lot more savvy about understanding risk and understanding statistics. Um, People will say they don't understand math, they don't understand statistics, but if you uh, watch ESPN over the weekend and they talk about a baseball game, the people will talk about, oh, they should have pinch run for that batter, it would have increased the odds of that um, runner getting on base, it would have increased the risk of uh, double play, and these are things that people sort of understand intuitively now. Uh, people listen to the radio and they try and understand what the, what are the odds that I'm going to get into uh, a traffic uh, jam on the way to work today. What can I do to minimize that risk? And that's a lot of what we're doing in cardiology. We can look at people and not just say, you may or you may not have a heart attack. You're a man, you're 50. But we can do more to predict someone's uh, risk of having heart disease. And then we can do something to prevent that risk. And instead of waiting until the plumbing is clogged and someone like me has to come in, in the middle of the night to open up a blocked artery because you've had a heart attack, we can do more with medicines to prevent a heart attack. So much so that we're starting to argue now, do we even need to do some of these invasive procedures? Can we not manage these chronic conditions with medicine? And can we not identify people who are at high risk before they have problems and prevent these things? So to Tell some us degree, how you yeah, cardiologists yeah. do identify some of those risks and the methods of calculating that 10-year risk, for example. People want to know, am I going to drop off a heart attack next week? How do you know? To some degree, we don't, and this is something that always unsettles people. Uh, if you uh, if you ask, what are the odds that I'm going to get into a traffic jam on the way to work today, I can give you an answer. I can say, well, if you go over the George Washington Bridge between 8 and 9 o'clock, the odds are very high. But if you ask the question, what are the odds I'm going to get in an accident, you can infer. You can say it's rainy. You can say I'm driving fast. You can say I'm going to, to a high traffic area. There's a higher risk, but we can never really predict an event. And that unsettles people, but we can tell, we can identify people who are at risk and help them modify their behavior. Now, for the longest time, we've been doing this with a simple set of numbers. It was actually high blood pressure, which was the first thing that was identified as putting people at risk. It was actually a, uh, accountants 
who were selling life insurance who first noticed that people who had high blood pressure were at a high risk of having heart disease. Now, over the course of the last several decades, we're able to refine those numbers and to sort of say, well, if your blood pressure is above this number, you're at a certain degree of risk. If your blood pressure is in this range, you're at a certain degree of risk. And if your blood pressure is controlled but using some of these medications, your risk is different. And a lot of this came out of epidemiologic studies we've been doing. And one of the largest and longest ongoing ones is the Framingham study, which is based on uh, data collected from the community around Framingham, Massachusetts. And from this, we've also become much more sophisticated at looking at people's cholesterol numbers, not just their total cholesterol, but then eventually what has been come to be known as good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, the so-called LDL and HDL. But over the last few years, we've actually become more specific. We've started to look at triglycerides as a risk factor. We've started to look at calculated LDL versus uh, something called the LDL particle number, which has become more and more specific towards recognizing people at high risk for disease. We've also recognized populations where people are at risk independent of their cholesterol. The other thing we've started to do is to equate cardiovascular disease with vascular disease in other parts of the body. I remember when I studied vascular surgery, uh, we were doing a surgery on someone's leg, and the patient was quite surprised to find out that he was having a heart attack, which was something that was predictable based on the fact that the person had known vascular disease. So we're starting to pool evidence um, we start to treat anybody with diabetes as if they have vascular disease. We start to look at people who've had other types of complications related to having atherosclerosis, having coronary artery disease. Obviously, uh, there's been quite a lot has been done with smokers, and that uh, originates back to the Surgeon General's report in the 50s and 60s. So we are able now to identify certain risk factors. The newest things that we've been looking at are the so-called sedentary lifestyle uh, diabetes, and not just diabetes, but the pre-diabetic condition. We recognized a, a group of people who have a condition we call the metabolic syndrome, which is a combination of abdominal obesity, people who have the body types we refer to as apples, with uh, who tend to carry most of their weight around the middle, and recognize that those people have a constellation of symptoms involving elevated triglycerides, pre-diabetes, pre-hypertension, uh, and a low good cholesterol, low HDL, and we recognize these people as being at particularly high risk. So we do have guidelines now, refined uh, risk calculators, in which we can take a variety of epidemiological information, a person's age, a person's blood pressure, a person's bad cholesterol, a person's good cholesterol, and even information about smoking, diabetes, prediabetes, triglycerides, and other type of information. The one thing that we still struggle with a little bit is family history. Uh, family history of heart disease can be defined in different ways. Obviously, there's a difference between having an older brother who had a heart attack at age 40 and having a great-grandfather who had a heart attack at age 80 and who used to smoke. So we are trying to quantify family history by identifying certain gene abnormalities and certain genetic markers independent of cholesterol that can put people at risk for heart disease. So it's really with family history that we have the hardest amount of time making predictions. Most of these other things, we can give people a pretty accurate idea of their risk of heart disease and over, over a certain period of time. And that's a very exciting thing for us. To some degree, we're putting ourselves out of business. Um, we're starting, we're identifying high-risk people earlier, getting them on medical therapy, effectively treating their d disease, and eliminating the risk down the line that they would need an emergency angioplasty or open-heart surgery. And 
also we were able to do a lot of the procedures that we used to do surgically um, with minimally invasive procedures. So it's a very exciting time to be a cardiologist. It's a very exciting time to have heart disease. Um, it's probably not a good time to be an accountant working for somebody who's a cardiology group because uh, to some degree we're able to find that we can treat disease much more efficiently, um, much less invasively, and um, much more cheaply, which is very important to the government as well. Dr. Giuliano, where does inflammation, we're hearing more and more, and in our blood tests we get CRP and still a little bit homocysteine. Where are you cardiologists looking at inflammation as our risk of heart disease? Yeah, and even known, where stress and cortisol come in? Right. We, the, the short answer is we, don't, we cannot identify high-risk plaques yet. We can make good estimates and we can take guesses. Identifying markers, uh, vessels that are have the highest amount of inflammation and are at most risk for having a heart attack, what we call the vulnerable plaque, is a very difficult thing for us to do. We have known by looking at pathology slides of patients who have died of heart attacks that the plaques that rupture tend to have more inflammation, more, more white blood cell counts in the plaque. We have tried to find some circulating particle in the blood that lets us know that someone has vulnerable plaque before that plaque ruptures. We have tried imaging. We have done MRI scans. We have done PET scans. We have looked at white blood cell counts. We have looked at bacteria. We've given people antibiotics. We have not been able to truly identify which people have plaques that are vulnerable and which people that have not. The closest technology we have right now is something called intravascular ultrasound, which is to put a probe past a... Um, blocked artery while the person is still awake and to look at the artery with ultrasound and to make some kind of inferences about the risk of that plaque rupturing. However, what we've really found is that we can reduce inflammation with a set of drugs. One, mar one drug that's been very efficient is one of our oldest drugs, which is aspirin, and this is why we often talk to people about being on aspirin who have known coronary disease. Another thing that we found is statin therapy. Lipitor and its cousins have been very important in reducing the risk of inflammation. To some degree, the benefit of these drugs is not so much in that they lower your serum cholesterol levels, but that they stabilize the plaques that you have. What I try to tell people is what I do is not plumbing. Um, plumbing, the pipes in your house are fit, have a fixed size. They don't respond. They don't get better when there's blockages, um, and eventually the plaque has to be cleaned out. Now, your arteries are living tissue. If we can reduce the inflammation, the arteries will heal, they'll expand, they'll allow more blood flow to go beyond the blockages, and the arteries will heal. And that is why we are, have been so pushy to some degree about getting patients who have coronary disease or vascular disease of any type on a cholesterol medication such as a statin, even if their cholesterol numbers aren't so bad. Now, for the longest time, statins were the only real options we had. There were other medicines that lowered your cholesterol but none that had such a remarkable effect on inflammation as the statins. But in, one of a, in another example of why this is an exciting time in cardiology, within the last few months, two drugs have come on the market, and these are medications that are called PCSK9 antagonists. These are injectable drugs. They're not yet available in pill form, but they are an alternative to statin therapy that also have been shown to reduce inflammation, to lower cholesterol, and to effectively treat 
the not insignificant population we have of people who are not able to take a statin drug or people who are resistant to statin therapy or people who seem to have heart disease independent of their cholesterol. And this is a second set of drugs that are on the market that we expect will have a very large benefit in reducing inflammation and protecting people from um, malignant cardiovascular outcomes. Dr. Giuliano, in just the last minute, please give the listeners your very best advice because we're looking at combating childhood and early adulthood, heart and and obesity epidemic and diabetes, prediabetes, as you say, and risk factors, smoking, genetics. Give your best advice for prevention of heart disease and why people should come to Summit Medical Group for their care. Well, I think that to summarize quickly, uh, Knowing your cholesterol numbers is important. Knowing your blood pressure numbers is important. Obviously not smoking, an active lifestyle, and a healthy diet. Now, we could fill an hour just talking about what that means. While traditionally we've recommended a low-fat diet, there's been a lot recently to suggest that if you're replacing fat with carbohydrates, you're having similar problems. There's been an advancement in our understanding of what a healthy diet should be. It's a little bit more complicated than simply saying, watch the cholesterol or read the labels. Uh, we Here at Summit Medical Group, we pride ourselves on taking the time to talk to people about what kind of diet and lifestyle changes in terms of exercise and what the foods they should be eating and what foods they shouldn't be eating. Uh, we try and take a, I hate to say holistic approach, but more a practical approach, tailoring your busy lifestyle to a healthy lifestyle. We like to take time in our Department of Cardiology, not just to order tests and to tell you what your numbers are and refer you to a table, but to try and help you really understand what your options are, what kinds of medical therapy is available to you, what kind of lifestyle therapy is available to you, and hopefully not what kind of surgical and non-invasive therapies are available to you as well. It is such great information, and you are an amazing speaker, and I am quite sure an amazing doctor as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Giuliano, for being with us. Thank you for having me on, Melanie. You're listening to SMG Radio, and for more information, you can go to summitmedicalgroup.com. That's summitmedicalgroup.com. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.